You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. God's word for me from Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be starting in verse 19. I know we did a series on Hebrews last year, so it might be relatively fresh, but just a couple verses for us this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, this summer we're doing a little series called Ecclesia. We did almost a year in John. We're going into a big Old Testament book in the fall, and we're taking a little break this summer to answer the question, why do we do church the way we do it, right? Why do we not just, the, the question I want to ask this morning in particular is, why don't we just do VR church, right? Like you could stay at home, you could put on your VR headset, you could be wearing your pajamas right now, you could set the thermostat to whatever you want it to be, and the coffee will be whatever type you like. Like you wouldn't have had to just do like an awkward greeting time where like you got to find someone to talk to or you get out of the conversation you were just talking to the person you were stuck with. Like you could skip all of that every week, right? VR church would be so much easier. You could skip through the announcements section and the giving section. You could skip songs you didn't like or pick exactly what you wanted. Uh, VR church would be a lot of fun, maybe a lot easier for us. And yet there's like a fundamental reason why we think gathering together physically in our real bodies in a real space is actually important, right? Live streams, I'm not knocking live streams. Sorry, live stream people, speaking to you. Um, it's, it, the live streams are great. Live streams are a really wonderful tool, especially when we're traveling, especially when we're sick, for those who maybe can't physically come every week, right? We all got to be used to live streams during COVID. But um, why is it also important for us to gather together? And I think this passage has three big reasons for us this morning. We gather together weekly as a church to experience Christ's presence in the sacraments, right over here. We gather together as a church weekly to experience community with one another, to stir up, as this passage says, to stir up one another to love and to good works. And we gather together ultimately because God said so. Uh, So we gather for these three reasons, because there's sacraments, the Lord's Supper, baptism, that are a physical sign of a spiritual reality that we can't simply do online. We can't do the Lord's Supper as it's meant to be done online. It just doesn't work. We gather together physically because there's a real challenge that we have, a real reminder to each other to stir up one another to love and to good works that you can't do without community. You, You can't do that in the same way on Reddit as you can in person. And then we gather together because the Bible says to do it, which is ultimately the reason why we do everything and the answer uh, for all of it. So let's, let's dig into our passage uh, this morning. 
uh, starting in verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, just a reminder, Hebrews is written by, we don't know who, but they're writing to the church in a time of discouragement. The church is questioning, why don't we return back to Judaism? Why don't we return to whatever religion we grew up with or just leave it all together? And he's telling them that no matter what your concern is, Jesus is better. And so he starts by telling them this again. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he, Jesus, opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a full heart, in, or true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In case you didn't catch it there, there's a reference to baptism. He talks about bodies being washed with pure water, sprinkling clean. If you're Presbyterian, then that's obviously baptism right there. Uh, if you're not, I'm sorry. Uh, but there's a clear reference to baptism, I think, here. And, and this is one of the main, not because we do a baptism every week, but I'm thinking of baptism and the Lord's Supper as these main two sacraments, these main two physical ways to remember a spiritual reality that we see in the regular life of the church. Uh, to go aside for just a minute, when I was six, I had a physical problem and I needed a, a bigger problem. My, my little brother, Joseph, uh, we, we used to fight a lot, as all good brothers do. And uh, Joseph had one prized possession on the top of his dresser, this bobblehead that he'd gotten for free, like as being the first thousand people into a baseball game. It was not a very fancy bobblehead. I don't know who, what baseball player, what minor league baseball player it was of, but it was on top of his thing and he would sit there and look at it and occasionally do the bobble thing and he wouldn't let me touch it at all. And it was like his favorite, favorite thing. And he was very little, he's a couple years younger than me, so he's probably four. And this was his like favorite toy up on the top of his dresser. And I remember one time, Joseph and I got in a big argument. I don't remember what. Probably he did something dumb that was his fault. Uh, but <laughs> we got in a big argument, and I was angry. I needed to seek retribution to assert my dominance as the older brothers, all good older brothers do. And so I thought, you know what I'm going to get him? I'm going to rip the head off of his bobblehead. I know. It was terrible. It was terrible. And I did. And it was, the spring was sticking up weird and the, it broke a little bit. And then I'm like, oh no, there's, I've really done it. Like, and so I tried to put the spring back on the bobblehead and it doesn't, you know, when you push down on a spring, the head just flies off in another direction and it's sitting all askew. And there was no way to fix this broken bobblehead. It was cheap in the first place, but he was absolutely distraught. And my parents said some version of what parents always do. Well, you guys make it up. Well, I had to do some punishment, but eventually we had to make up. And there's no way to make up for a broken collectible bobblehead that they only hand out to the first thousand people of a game of some obscure minor league baseball player. They don't make them. And there was no way to get another bobblehead. Uh, and, and somehow Joseph and I, we, we've managed to make up, but somehow we had to reconcile. We had to come back together and bridge this gap of brokenness between us. This is the same problem, the same fundamental problem that we have as humans. We have this brokenness We've broken the bobblehead with God. He says, don't eat of the fruit, and yet we do. He says, don't cross this line, and yet we do. We have the same fundamental thing. Something's been broken, and we don't have the tools to fix it. We don't have a way to get right with God on our own. 
And yet Christ came across the, the, the line to us. Christ fixes that silly bobblehead. And he does this, and the author of Hebrews tells us how he does this in a very specific way. He says, Christ opened up this curtain of the holy places. This was in the Old Testament. If you wanted to go and get right with God, you had to go into the Holy of Holies, and the priest went in there once a day, once a year on Yom Kippur, and he goes through this special curtain in the Holy of Holies, and we couldn't get in there because we're sinful, because we'd broken bobbleheads. And he says, Jesus has done this by tearing a hole in this curtain, and this curtain was actually not even a physical curtain. It was his flesh. It says Jesus' flesh was torn in two for our sins. This is the gospel right here, that Christ had his flesh torn in two for my sins, for my tearing apart bobbleheads, and yet he uh, chose to do that as a free gift and offers that grace to fix our brokenness. He, he fixed what we could never fix on our own. And, and the author of Hebrews reminds us this. He opened this living way through his flesh, and, and because of that, we have confidence, confidence to enter that holy of holies together. And in, in doing so, he reminds us that we get our hearts cleansed, our dirty, broken hearts that mess up things all the time, that seek retribution for our own uh, righteousness and all that sort of stuff. Our, our own hearts get cleansed, not by my trying to make a new bobblehead, not by me trying to follow God in the perfect way, but by Christ's blood. He says, blood? That's, that's gross. He says, blood. He's, 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 his blood is shed. It's sprinkled. In the Old Testament, when this priest would go on the day of Yom Kippur, on the day of atonement, to make reparations for the people, for all their brokenness, he would take the blood of a lamb and he would take it up to the altar. And the altar had four big corners on it. You can picture this if you do a Fourth of July barbecue. This hot, steaming piece of metal, and they've got a big cow or a fire going on there. And the four corners of the altar, he would take a brush or his hand and some blood, and he would fling it, sprinkle blood on all four corners of this altar. And this was a way to pour out this blood of an animal for the sins of the people. And he references this here. He says, our hearts have been sprinkled clean in the same way. Our own evil conscience, in verse 22, has been cleansed by the blood of Christ and also by this pure water. Right? And we have two big sacraments that we, we celebrate as a church. Baptism, this pure water, this marker of entrance, into God's people, entrance into the church. And then we have the Lord's Supper, which we'll celebrate in a couple minutes, right? Where we remind ourselves weekly uh, of this spiritual reality, this once and for all sacrifice that Christ made for you before you were even born. This once and for all shedding of blood, this final, final animal that was killed, except it wasn't an animal, it was the Son of God himself. And, and this blood that he had to shed, it's, it's gross, it's visceral. Uh, it's, but it's physical because there's a, a physical reminder of the spiritual reality, right? Jesus didn't go to VR church to die on a VR cross. He came to real earth in a real place in time and had a real body. And for the middle schoolers, this is going to be the last thing you hear that I say. But he really like went to the bathroom. He pooped. He had acne. He did all of that stuff. And, and, and yet he chose to die for us. And he, had, he shed real blood. And we'll, we'll drink grape juice and wine in a little bit as a reminder of this blood. We'll have bread, crackly, soft, crunchy bread as a reminder of his body. It's gross, but it's, it's beautiful. This is the, the center of our religion, that we celebrate the sacrifice that Christ made. And there's just no way we can do that online. There's no way we can do that on our own, right? Why do we gather together as a church? Some, sometimes we think about doing that online. Sometimes we maybe think, I don't need to gather as a church because I'm just going to really follow Jesus on my own. 
right? It's just me and the Bible, and I'm just going to kind of like live on a desert island and find maybe some preachers that I like, and that'll be good, but I don't really need anybody else. Well, we can't celebrate communion as we're intended to as God's people on our own. It's just impossible. And so we get to do that every week here at Holy Cross. Uh, every week we get to remember this death of Christ. And every week we get to be pulled in through this major means of grace that God has given us, uh, a reminder of his once and for all sacrifice for us. So that's point one. We, we meet together weekly because it reminds us of this physical reality of a spiritual, physical reminder of a spiritual reality, the, the Lord's Supper, communion. Uh, we, we celebrate that over and over again. We also do this because there's a community. We meet together each week, point two, uh, as a church to stir up one another to love and to good works. This is straight out of verse 24. We, we meet to stir up one another to love and to good works. I love that picture. It, they use it in the New Testament a lot, stirring up. It's something, uh, a reminding, right? Picture the things you've known and you've learned, and they're like stuff in a soup, and they settle all down to the bottom, and then you've got to stir it up like a paint can. Stir up the soup pot. Get the stuff reminded up in the air again. And that's a big part of why we meet together to do that, to help ourselves remember uh, to do good works, help ourselves remember what the love of Christ looks like in a, one of the greatest movies of all time, Harry Potter. Uh, <laughs> Neville Longbottom, the, the character who can never seem to do anything right, has a remember-all. It's this ball that he holds that when it turns red, it tells him, you've forgotten something. There's a fundamental flaw with his remember-all. He holds this thing, and it always turns red. It always tells him what he's forgotten, but, or that he's forgotten something but he can never know what it is that he can't remember, right? There's no point to a ball that tells you you've forgotten something if you don't know what you forgot. And we need help each week being reminded of what we've forgotten. The things we don't know, we don't know them. <laughs> the things we don't remember, we need someone else to remind us of those. And that's right at the heart of this, one of the major reasons why we meet together each week as a church, why we have a community, why we deal with people's bad breath and weird conversation topics, uh, because they remind us of things that we've forgotten or maybe haven't heard at all, right? We need to be reminded. And if you're saying, I already remember all this stuff, Garrett, I've got the whole Westminster Shorter Catechism memorized or something like that, then great, you can remind other people. You have a wonderful task. You can remind our children. You can teach our children in the children's ministry. You can volunteer in our student ministry. Uh, we have a wonderful calling to remind others of these central truths of the gospel. Uh, it, it says here that we're supposed to stir up one another to two things in this passage. There's a lot of stuff we could remind each other of. But in this passage, there's two things. Stir up one another to love and to good works. So let's pause and think about those for a second. When we think about love, we might think about like June and that sort of love. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Love in uh, Christ is sacrificial. Love for the Christian is something that lays down itself to die. Love for us it holds no wrongs, right? Love for us is the love of Christ that says, I know you wronged me and I'm still going to let you hurt me again. Love, the love of Christ is one that is completely gracious. It's as one of my favorite hymns says, love that will not let me go. Uh, it's, it's love that holds on forever. And, and this love of Christ, it never leaves you the way that it found you, 
right? The love of Christ never leaves you the way that it found you. It always transforms and it changes you as much as it's ever going to accept and affirm you. That the love of Christ never is going to leave you the way it found you. It always is going to change who you are. This is true of any real love, but the love of Christ in particular. And, and we can't remember this transformative love on our own, at least not in the way that we're called to in community. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. We, we have this challenge to remember this love of Christ as other people love on us, right? In the, in the midst of our brokenness, uh, when we bring meals to people, uh, in our weekly community and life groups, as we hear people's prayer requests, um, as we just join together to do what we're called to do, uh, we, we have a chance to be loved on and to love other people in the way that Christ has loved us. Uh, and then it calls us not just to stir one another up to love, but to stir one another up to good works, right? And this is something that we, I think, particularly in our tradition, are tempted to forget about. I have the tendency to think of the gospel as primarily a head thing, right? If I understand uh, the truths on this page, if I've memorized the right stuff, if I've checked the right boxes, then uh, mentally, then I'm a good, functioning, healthy Christian. And yet the gospel, as we see it in the New Testament, is much more than just a head thing. It's much more than just understanding the right stuff and not being confused. It's, it's a, a, a full life transformation that calls us to absolutely perform good works. We're never saved by them, uh, but we're always doing them if we've been saved. And, and this, uh, one of the major reasons we come together as a church is to remind, to stir up one another to these good works, right? And there's all kinds of versions of this. We can, we can do good works when we come together to pool our money to support missionaries. Uh, we can do this when we come together uh, to help people in community service projects, that kind of thing. We can do this in day in and day out uh, friendship, in day in and day out challenging and comforting of the people in this room who I promise if you stick around, you're going to get to know for all of their problems and all of their, their wonderful aspects as well. And we can challenge each other and comfort each other to these good works we've been called to as Christians. You're going to see that only in community. Right? If we only ever go to church online, if we only ever do things on our own, in our own little Christian journal-y bubble, then we're not going to get to know people's good sides. We're only going to see that they sing a little off-key. We're only going to see that they're, they have weird political views, different than mine. And we're only going to see that they have all these problems. But if we get to know people in real community, then we get to challenge one another in positive ways as well and be encouraged by the wonderful ways, you know, that people serve. I'm, I'm so encouraged by the way I see people serving here week in and week out, that, that there's just so much going on that's so good that despite any other challenges, we can continue to stir up one another uh, to, these, to these good works. Our third point, uh, we gather, and maybe our main one, we gather weekly as a church because God said so. Uh, it's really that simple. <laughs> Maybe a little heavy-handed, but it really is that simple. Verse 25, he says, Don't uh, be these people who are not, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, the day of the Lord drawing near. Right? Think about, picture that little kid, maybe the ones we just dismissed to uh, the pre-K classroom, asking, well, why? 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 Uh, and, Mom, why can't I have another EG? Why? Why can't I have more cotton candy? Why can't I go to my friend's house? Why? Can't? Because I said so. 
It's always the ultimate answer. Because I said so. That was me as a child. I was constantly pushing the boundaries. And I heard that a lot. Because I said so, Garrett. That's why. And this is ultimately the reason we do all of the things we do as Christians. We, we don't do all of these things because they benefit us. Uh, we don't do all these things because we think they're a good idea here at Holy Cross. Uh, we don't do them because of our tradition. We do them because God said so. And, and as harsh as that might sound, it's also incredibly freeing, right? When I can't do things the way that I want to, that's because God said so. When I have to do things that I don't want to do, it's because God said so. You know, especially as we face more and more cultural challenges and we're tempted to try and fight culture wars, it's really easy. We don't have to, to answer why uh, our views are the way that they are, except that, well, I'm sorry, I, I believe in the Bible and it says that this is the way I should live. It says that this is how I should, should order my life. We, we can give wonderful explanations of the benefits of living in a Christian way. We can give wonderful explanations of all of these things, but ultimately we meet together because God said so. Verse 25, don't be these people who are neglecting to meet together, but instead come together to encourage one another. That's a real simple verse right there. That's why I picked this passage. It says, don't neglect to meet together. There we go. Why do we meet together? Because God said to. Don't neglect to meet together. And what did he say? It's not just this passage, by the way. You know, maybe you could think that the author of Hebrews, he's just speaking to one specific church in one specific situation. I don't know. The, the whole of Scripture has this pattern, right, of God's people getting together normally on the seventh day on the Sabbath or in the New Testament on the first day of the week, Sunday, to meet together, right? From the very beginning, uh, God creates the world in seven days, and on the seventh day, he rests, right? On the seventh day, uh, no matter how literally you take those days, there's this pattern that's established of Sabbath, of rest, of even God himself, the creator. He has no need to rest, right? He's not tired. It wasn't like he did too many curls and he's at his max or something. He rests to establish a pattern. We see this again in the Ten Commandments. We're called to remember the Lord's day to keep it holy because of what God's done, this pattern he set up for us. Uh, we see it in the New Testament. The early church meets together on the first day of the week and said no longer Saturday, but now Sunday, because that's when Christ came back from the dead. And they keep this pattern of weekly meeting together. And, and this is not some just weird like cultural thing. This is core to what we are, who we are, and what we're, how we're called to live as Christians that we would actually meet together as a weekly pattern, as a weekly routine to remind ourselves of, of what uh, we need to be reminded of. He tells us uh, all over Scripture, even in Revelation, that he writes to the church that are meeting on the first day of the week and, and speaks to them there. And so what do we do? Why, why do we do this? Because uh, we, we meet together to experience the presence of Christ in the sacraments, this physical reminder of a spiritual reality, when you taste that wine or grape juice in a moment, it's a reminder of the actual, real, physical blood of Christ shed for you almost 2,000 years ago, knowing your name shed for you. We meet together to, uh, to challenge and to comfort one another, to stir up by way of reminder uh, each other to love and to good works. We, when, when we shake hands and we talk, we can begin to grow in these relationships of true sacrificial love where we maybe lay down something in our lives in order to help uh, our neighbor, help our church member. We challenge each other in those ways and we comfort each other. And then we meet because God said so. As we continue to live 
in an age where our Christian beliefs, our weird ethics, the patterns of life that we hold are increasingly culturally out there. I'm fine with that. It's because God said so. This is why we do all of this stuff, because it's in the Bible. Uh, you know, Karl Barth, famous theologian of the last century, um, wouldn't necessarily recommend all of his reading, but uh, really boring. But he, he came, he's from Europe, he came to the United States on this famous speaking tour, and he went to all these seminaries and everything, and a lot of people were like, man, Dr. Bart, like, what have you learned? What can we take back to our churches? Like, what's the summary of all your teaching? And he had this really great one-liner. He said, you know, I've learned that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This one basic summary from this really complicated and hard to understand thinker that, you know, the, the basic truth of the Bible is very simple. Jesus loves me, and I know that because the Bible says it. That that's the root of, of why we believe any of this stuff. If we stop questioning, start questioning that, then, you know, bring out, bring out a, a totally different lifestyle for me, at least. I'm living in a totally different way if, if the Bible's not true. But if it is, then this is absolutely how I want to live my life. This is absolutely how we want to meet, is, is gather together weekly to remind ourselves of these truths. You know, as we think about this as closing, uh, uh, we call it a worship service, right? That's kind of a weird thing. Uh, we call it a worship service, not because... Uh, and, and maybe you haven't thought about the word service in a while. But sometimes you think about like the service industry, or if it's the 4th of July, you might thank Brandon for his service. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, and, or, or anybody else. Sorry, thank you to all of our vets. But um, uh, thank you for your service. But like we, we use that word service for what we're doing right now. right? It's a worship service. Not because we're serving God. right? He's ultimately the one who's served us. right? He's done everything first for us. But because when we meet together, this is ultimately not about me. Right? This is not why I come together on Sunday morning, for Garrett to be happy, for me to feel good about myself as a Christian. I come on Sunday morning to serve the Lord. As much as it's completely worthless and of no real value to him, right? He's not uh, getting, like, it's not like I'm really accomplishing any wonderful spiritual feats by being here this morning. Uh, it's also not about me, right? Church is not about me. It's not about us or the things we're doing. It's always about God. And, that, and, and I was just thinking about that as we think about this word ecclesia, the one on the front of your bulletin. You know, there is already a word that the uh, New Testament authors could have used for church, synagogue. It means coming together. It, it could have worked a lot better for this sermon in particular, and why do we get together, synagogue. And they already had a, a, that word in their culture, and they could have just said, well, we're going to claim the synagogues for Christ. But instead, they started using this other word, ecclesia. It means called out ones. Ek, out of, ecclesia uh, is the calling word. So it means the people have been called out. Pete talked about this last week, how we've been called as Christians, called out of the world and saved by God. And, and as we think about that with our church, we celebrate, we, we offer this service unto the Lord because we've been uh, called out. And, and the ultimate mover there is not me. It's not my decision to follow God, but it's him having called us out. And so as we meet together, hopefully that's at the center of all that we do. I think that's a powerful antidote to kind of the cultural impulse to say, I'm just going to stay at home and do church on my own because it benefits me more. If that, that whole mindset is based around me. But if, but if I'm instead trying to offer up a service unto the Lord because I've been called out of my life and into a new life for him, 
then of course it starts to make a lot more sense uh, that we would gather together weekly to experience the presence of Christ in the sacraments, to stir up one another to love and to good works, and because God said so. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.